Hey, this is Baudelaire. I'm one of the producers of the Atlas Obscura podcast. In honor of Women's History Month, we're going to be resharing some stories that highlight women who are making history today. I want to reshare with you all this story about Bwindi Impenetrable Forest in southwest Uganda. It was produced by another one of our producers, Sarah Wyman, and is really special because it shows how tied the progression of our species and the conservation of nature really are. It also highlights one woman in particular, Dr. Gladys Kalema Sizoka, for the incredible work she's doing to help both causes. If you want to learn more about Atlas Obscura's Women's History Month project, you can visit the link in the show notes. Up in the hills of southwest Uganda, there's a clear line where the farmlands end and the forest begins. The villagers who live on the outskirts of the forest call it Bwindi. In Ruchiga, it means a place of darkness. Because it's like once you're inside, it's dark, because it's very thick, dark forest. The forest is deep and tangled. The plant life twists around itself and tumbles into steep, impenetrable valleys. Once you get off the main trail, you have to use a machete, a panga to, to get through, and it regenerates very, very quickly all the time. It rains almost every day. The air is thick and warm. And inside every fold of the forest, there's life. It's home to more than 340 bird species, more than 200 kinds of butterflies. Red-tailed monkeys, you know, black and white colobus, you get to see blue monkeys, there's forest elephants. But the life the Bwindi impenetrable forest is most famous for is even rarer. Wandering deep inside this dark forest are nearly 460 mountain gorillas. That is nearly half the remaining population in the entire world. I've seen them hundreds of times. But, you know, hundreds of times we visited them, checked on them. But every time I learned something new, it's, it's really amazing. I'm Sarah Wyman, and this is Atlas Obscura a celebration of the world's strange, incredible, and wondrous places. Today, we head into the heart of the windy, impenetrable forest to meet the mountain gorillas who live there and a veterinarian who spent more than 25 years fighting for their survival. This is not a story of man versus wild. It's a story of man and wild and how both depend on each other to survive. That's after this. If you're looking for a place where the wide open skies and the towering mountains inspire you to find an untapped part of yourself, you might want to take a trip to Wyoming. It's a place where bold, curious spirits forge their own way on all types of adventures. There is no shortage of iconic, expansive landscapes out there. You can discover breathtaking hikes, stunning state parks, authentic Western culture, and other historic sites— along with the tales of famous outlaws like Butch Cassidy and pioneers like Buffalo Bill Cody. The truth lies west. 
Discover yours at TravelWyoming.com. Friday, Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes is coming to IMAX and theaters everywhere. What a wonderful day! This summer, one movie event will reign. It is our time. I stole my village. I know where they're taking your clan. Bend for your king. Never. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Only in theaters Friday. Tickets on sale now. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. Dr. Gladys Kalema Zixoka was 24 years old when she saw a mountain gorilla for the first time. I was actually in my last year of vet school, and I'd come to conduct research on the gorillas for the first time. I had been dying to do this. I'd been, like, so looking forward to doing it. Ever since I first heard about them when I was setting up a wildlife club in my high school in Uganda. Dr. Gladys had been studying mountain gorillas for four years at this point. She'd even picked them up as her specialty in vet school. But unfortunately, the mountain gorillas out in the wild were not thriving. The mountain gorillas were critically endangered. Um, There were only 600, about 600 left in the wild. And about 300 of those were believed to be living in the Bwindi Impenetrable National Park. But even though she'd grown up only a few hours drive away... And even though she'd been obsessed with gorillas since high school, before this moment, Dr. Gladys had never seen one in the wild. But there was one small problem. I had been waiting in Windy for about a week before I could go up to see them because I had a very bad cold. And I just developed it just as I arrived at the National Park, which meant that I couldn't, I just wasn't allowed to visit the gorillas. Mountain gorillas and humans share 98% of our DNA, which means Dr. Gladys could pretty easily pass her cold onto a gorilla, a critically endangered gorilla. So when I finally got better, we went with the ranger, we walked up, and the first gorilla we saw was on his own. Um, He was very, very accommodating. He was a silverback called Kachipira. He was on his own, and he was called Kachipira because he has a broken hand. I felt a very deep connection when I looked, when I was watching Kachipira. I could really feel a deep connection when I looked in his eyes. So I felt like, bro, this is an animal. It's the first time I've met this animal, but I'm feeling like it's a strong connection between us, which is, which was really amazing. And it has never gone. You know, I'm still working with the gorillas, you know, um, 27 years later. Just one year after she met Kachupira, Gladys got her first job as the official vet for the Uganda Wildlife Authority. And a big part of that job was to make sure the gorillas in the Bwindi Impenetrable Forest survived. I just turned 26. Yep. How did it feel to be put in charge of half of the population of a critically endangered species? (laughs) It was daunting. (laughs) It's very daunting, but also very fulfilling um, because you know that you're really making a difference, really making a difference by any little thing you do for the gorillas, even just saving one life, you know, everything counts. Every time you're even stopping like one poacher entering the forest, you're protecting the gorillas. 
Poachers are one reason why the mountain gorillas are endangered, but deforestation and disease are also big concerns. If farmers or members of the surrounding community cut down trees along the edge of the forest for firewood or to plant crops, they were also cutting down the size of the gorilla's habitat, which meant the gorillas were more likely to come into contact with humans and get sick. And once they got sick, Dr. Gladys had to figure out how to help them, which wasn't always easy. First of all, nobody really understood what a vet does with wildlife because wild animals are supposed to be left on their own. You know, if it's um, gorillas have wounds, it's because they're fighting, you shouldn't intervene. If it's a sick animal, it was always assumed that this is, it was all about survival for the fittest. And the weak animal, it was time for that one to go so that stronger ones continue. And so when you tell people that now I'm, I'm a vet, I'm supposed to attend to the sick animals, and they're like, ah, so... So it was like, with the gorillas, it was always you intervene if it's human-related or life-threatening. But even then, it was a bit of a gray area. Because sometimes, if a gorilla had a life-threatening, you thought it was life-threatening, but you're not sure if it's human-related. Sometimes you're like thinking, maybe I should intervene, just in case it's human-related, but we don't know. And that was always a big cause of debate. One day, a few years into her work, one of Dr. Gladys's colleagues called her into the forest to examine a young gorilla they'd been following for a while. They used to call her Kahara because she loved babysitting her younger brother. She's a nice girl who likes to babysit the younger sibling. <laughs> but on this day, Kahara was not looking after her little brother. She was really sick. Her rectum had fallen out of her body, and it was rotting. And so when they called me, um, I had that I had no choice but to carry out an operation on her, even if we we're not sure whether it was human-related. Um, but I could tell it was definitely life-threatening because the maggots were slowly crawling up her body. So I intervened, and we removed the rotten part of the rectum, stitched back the rest. After two days, she joined the rest of the group. But Dr. Gladys and her team kept thinking about Kahara's rectal prolapse and what might have caused it. And there was one explanation that would make a lot of sense. Human contact. The human communities surrounding the Bwindi Impenetrable National Park are among the most impoverished anywhere in Uganda. People wouldn't cover their rubbish heaps. They wouldn't, on top, they wouldn't wash often or bathe often. They, they sometimes there's open defecation. They didn't have toilets. They didn't have hand washing stations. Dr. Gladys thinks Kahara probably drank water contaminated by human fecal matter. That's what put a strain on her digestive system and eventually caused her prolapse. But Kahara is, of course, not the only example of this kind of thing happening. Years earlier, Dr. Gladys treated a scabies outbreak that spread from people to gorillas. A baby gorilla died before she was able to diagnose the problem. So it was our first realization that you can't protect the gorillas without taking care of the health of the people who they share their habitat with. Dr. Gladys had been hired by the Uganda Wildlife Authority to care for the gorillas. But it was becoming more and more obvious to her that in order to do that, she had to look after people's health too. And so she founded a new organization called Conservation Through Public Health, or CTPH. 
And so what would you say is the biggest difference between what you do now and what you did when you first started working directly with the Mountain Gorillas in 1995? Um, I'd say the biggest difference is that when I first started working with the Mountain Gorillas, I was only focusing on the animals. But right now, the biggest difference is the health of the people and the community well-being is, is as much a part of what I do as the health of the animals. Dr. Gladys is still available if a gorilla needs emergency surgery. But her team is also really focused on the health of people. They visit local churches and village centers, and they bring flip charts that show how to wash your hands. They demonstrate how to use stoves that burn firewood more efficiently, so people don't have to cut down as many trees. And CTPH also provides family planning support. They've helped increase the number of women in the region on birth control from 20 to 67 percent. When we improve the people's health, we don't only reducing a risk of direct disease transmission between people and gorillas, but we're also showing that we care about them, their health as well, and not only caring about the gorillas, the other wildlife and the forest. And then it makes them in turn want to care about the wildlife. So it improves community attitudes when you improve their health. But there are even more incentives for the community to feel invested in the gorillas' future. For one thing, some of them work for CTPH now. Dr. Gladys and her team have started a telecenter and an eco-friendly coffee business, both of which provide jobs for locals. And along with the Uganda Wildlife Authority, CTPH has hired and trained gorilla poachers to become gorilla trackers. We used to call them born-again poachers. <laughs> you know, as former poachers are actually the best trackers. As a result of all of these changes, and thanks to money from gorilla tourism, there are hundreds more gorillas living in the forest than there were in the 1990s. And the gorillas' neighbors outside the forest are happy to have them there. But before we go, Dr. Gladys told me one more story about a gorilla named Ruhindeza. Actually, he was Kahara's dad. And when he got old and couldn't keep up with his group, he came out of the forest onto community land. We went with my team, and when we checked on him, he was outside the forest in community land. And the communities even showed us, there he is, there he is. He was just covered under a shade of a shrub. And I could see that he was really comfortable there and the communities were not having a problem with him being there. And I thought that even if we dart him and translocate him and take him back into the forest, he's probably going to come back out. He feels safe in the community where he doesn't have to compete for food with the bigger, stronger silverbacks who are younger than him because now he has aged. And so we educated the communities and they even said, even when our elderly get old, we look after them. So they looked after him. And a few months later, when he passed on, they actually, everyone came to visit his grave to pay their last respects. And it just showed me how much the community really appreciated the gorillas. Because they're like, because Ruhendeza was so accommodating to tourists, we now have gorilla tourism. And he's helped to, he's helped to lift us out of poverty. The fact that they were willing to show a lot of compassion towards Ruhendeza showed me that people had really, really appreciated the gorillas and were really learning to coexist with them. Special thanks to Dr. Gladys Kalema Zixoka for taking the time to speak with me. 
If you want to learn more about her organization, Conservation Through Public Health, or support their work, you should visit the link in our show notes. There are a number of ways you can help. Thanks also to Nick Penny for letting us use audio he recorded of the Bwindi Impenetrable Forest. To see more of his work, check out his website. It is also in the show notes. This podcast is a co-production of Atlas Obscura and Witness Docs. Our production team includes Dylan Therese, Doug Baldinger, Camille Stanley, Willis Ryder-Arnold, Manolo Morales, Tracy Samuelson, John Delore, Gianna Palmer, Casey Holford, Peter Clowney. This episode was sound designed by Chris Naka and mixed by Luce Fleming. Our theme and end credit music is by Sam Tyndall. I'm Sarah Wyman. Thanks so much for listening. Witness Docs from Stitcher.